Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanti Show. I'm Jen, and today on Signal Boost, we have Eden Royce, author of Dark Fiction, with stories published just about everywhere that you might look, including two Southern Gothic horror collections. Welcome to the show, Eden. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So why don't you tell us about yourself and your work? Well, I am originally from Charleston, South Carolina, so I am a Southern girl. It just so happens that I now live in England, so that's that's a whole other show to itself. So a lot of my work is still what I would consider to be Southern Gothic, which is that sort of foreboding and creepy dark fiction that tends to be set in the American South. But now that I live here in England, I'm finding that uh, tenants of sort of traditional Gothic Castles and Misty Moors are sort of on my horizon for my writing. But a lot of it comes from my upbringing in Charleston, having been a member of a conjure magic family, hoodoo and root working. So a lot of the stories that I write involve that magic and a lot of that uh, ritual and practice. And I will never say what is true and what isn't, but there are there are probably some truths in, in my stories as well. That's awesome. I was going to say, what to you distinguishes Southern Gothic from horror specifically? I think that a lot of people see horror as a very narrow path if there isn't some sort of masked slasher chasing them, you know, through a summer camp, then they think it isn't actually horror. When in reality, horror is um, much more of a maze than that. There's so many subgenres and small avenues, and even genres that have elements of horror in them, even if the horror isn't itself uh, the only section of the piece. I think Southern Gothic is more focused on a lot of the mores of Southern culture and Southern upbringing. I like to say that Southern Gothic can be summed up in a phrase that my grandmother used to say, just because you've got to hurt somebody doesn't mean you can't be polite about it. (laughs) (laughs) I love your grandma. (laughs) She was great. It's just that sort of, um, there's a certain way that Southerners are and a certain way that we do things that have a mystique all their own, which people may look at and go, that is really strange or that is really odd. But it is the norm for us. And we sort of embrace that oddity and that grotesquery, if you will, in our everyday life. And I think that's where Southern Gothic differs from straight horror. There's just that, that layer of Southern hospitality and mannerisms 
that just sort of flow through the piece. Maybe not even necessarily obvious, but it's certainly there. And it's got that backdrop of dilapidated plantation houses or dilapidated fields or fallows or marshes that really sort of speak to the Southern experience. So you talking about this and given your cultural background with the family that practiced root and hoodoo, this almost reminds me of the conversation about what magical realism is, right? So if you think of things like like Water for Chocolate or even Toni Morrison's Beloved, which definitely have elements of the horror, but they're written in such a fashion and drawn so heavily from cultural roots that a person not of those cultural roots might look at it and say, oh, this is horror. Mm. But a person of those roots will say, oh, this is day-to-day life. Yes, exactly. Which is where kind of magical realism as a moniker settles into place. Yes, I think so. And I know that magical realism tends to be attributed to Latin American authors, but I think that it also bleeds a lot into what Southern Gothic is at its core. It's very much written almost to a certain readership, so that if you aren't in that readership and you are outside looking in, it may seem completely transportive and it may seem like it is something magical and unusual. But for someone that that lives that life and lives that experience, it is every day. And for someone like me that that grew up with sort of having to read labels on things so that I didn't accidentally put some sort of potion in what I was cooking instead of, you know, I don't know, vanilla extract or something. It's that sort of lifestyle where it would seem magical and unreal to someone that has never had to do that and has complete confidence in whatever they have in it. Absolutely. To me, this conversation keeps coming up more and more because the South obviously is an interesting sort of space within American culture, right? Where its culture is so different in so many ways and kind of set over in a pocket universe that mm. is largely forgotten by the rest of the United States. And in that way, tends to be somewhat aligned with a more global context, right? So, you know, Northwestern Americans would be like, oh, that's strange and unusual, and I don't even know what you're talking about, just as they might say with Southeast Asian or African or Caribbean cultures, where they don't have the cultural context to engage with it as a, as you say, day-to-day thing, so they see it as supernatural. Exactly. And I, it, it's been fascinating me, to me to kind of to, to look at the designations that we give stories just based on where they're from, when in some ways, like, you know, we might call it fantasy, when, nope, that's not fantasy, that's, that's just life. That's just my culture. Yes, exactly. And it seems that your stories kind of fit right in that in that little space. So I just read Cricket's Sing for Naomi. Yes, from Pod Castle. Yes. So this came out in July. And could you tell us a little about that story and sort of how it fits into this conversation I've just had with you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Cricket's Sing for Naomi is a story that came to pass because of something that 
actually happened to me when I was, I had my own apartment and there were crickets that would just, everywhere I looked, there would be some sort of cricket either crossing the carpet or at the threshold to the door. And one of my friends that visited once sort of joked with me and said, oh, they just follow you around because you're a cricket shaman. You know, it is what it is, cricket shaman. And that comment has always sort of stuck with me. And the story itself is about a young woman who has a best friend who early on in life um, saved her life. And she's never felt that she's been able to repay her for that. And this best friend's one weakness is she hasn't been able to find the, quote, right guy for her. And Naomi feels that maybe that's something that she can provide to her best friend. And it's something that I personally think would completely happen in the American South. I live in England now, so I'm in the habit of saying the American South. Um, and it's the the root worker that she goes to is really a, a compilation of several root working women that I know. Just their their personalities, the way that they are completely comfortable and confident in speaking about this magical and spiritual practice that they do. And they don't feel that it's anything different or anything unusual or anything that needs explaining to anyone else. And that was always something that fascinated me about how these women sort of moved through the world. And that's where the idea for that came into place as far as how do you pay back someone when they've got everything else that they want in life, but a partner. And so how do you make that happen? It turns out in a very clever way. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. You're welcome. So the your main character, your protagonist is half black, half Asian, which plays into sort of the mythology of the cricket. Could you talk about that? Well, I personally felt like a lot of times characters have a tendency to be one dimensional in some stories and the story becomes more about the magic that's happening and not always about the characters and how they move through the world and how they change the story. Um, I grew up in a very multicultural household, so there would be food from all over the world. There would be people from different cultures living in the same household. And it sort of came natural to me to create Naomi's character as having both backgrounds and considering herself to be both at one time, but not and not having to disavow one side of the family for the other. So it's it speaks to my experience as well as I I imagine a lot of people in the world who have multicultural households where they grow up with parents um, of different racial backgrounds, different um, religious backgrounds. And I felt that it was, I felt that it was right for, for the story and it was right for Naomi, which is essentially a character who has magic from both sides of her, both sides of her family. Given especially the fact that you're a southerner that has 
transplanted to England and you're writing very, you know, kind of specifically Southern Gothic. I don't even want to call it horror anymore. Um, <laughs> but it is. How do you navigate publishing given kind of the genre that you're working with and the fact that it's not, at least particularly from black authors, not a very well represented genre? Yes. Um, it is a challenge to navigate sometimes. I recall years ago now, I went to a, a book signing and a book reading for an anthology that I was in. And I casually mentioned that I was listed as one of the authors in a book called 60 Black Women in Horror Writing. And there was a comment made from the audience that was along the lines of, seriously, I didn't know that there were 60 Black women in horror writing. And um, at that, that point, I realized that it was important to really bring my experience and my background to horror and to dark fiction, because it is a genre that has typically seen blacks and other minorities as a lot of times secondary or tertiary characters has seen us as disposable characters. We all know the joke of watch a horror movie from the early nineties or earlier and the black person is not going to survive and is probably going to be the first person killed. And having to work in a genre where who you are has been seen as a throwaway character has been a challenge as well as something that makes me feel like I can at least get my voice heard. You look at a lot of classic horror and you don't see people of color. And I think that horror is something that is a universal feeling and a universal trait. And it's especially powerful a lot of times for women and for people of color, because we feel that fear and that horror very keenly in certain situations um, that other people may not. And bringing our voice and our experiences and our history to a genre that has in the past, let's be honest, sometimes seen us as the evil, if you will, is it's empowering, to be honest. It, it makes you feel like I'm able to place my stamp on a genre that I have always loved, but hasn't always loved me back. Right. Do you feel like we're getting there at least? Yes, we we are getting there. I think we're looking at a lot of the stories that are accepted in dark fiction and dark fantasy magazines right now. You see a lot more people of color. You see a lot more women's stories. Looking at a lot of the anthologies of best of the year horror, you're starting to see more names. You're starting to see more people of color surviving horror films, which is nice. I think that, um, I think this might be a good place to sort of shoehorn in that um i got a story accepted today yay and it was a story that was rejected two or three times and it's definitely southern gothic it's definitely something that is 
that I could imagine my grandmother saying to someone, because part of, I think, the the voice that people of color do bring to horror is something that is is just a, a, a feeling of being the outsider in many situations, but finding a way to make your own space in the world and finding places that accept your work that don't try to change your voice and don't try to, if you're a person that, that writes dialect or um, that writes certain slang usage um, or AAVE, finding a place that will accept your work as it is without trying to make alterations or making it more mainstream is is an amazing feeling and is a beautiful thing to happen. And I'm seeing that it's happening more and more now. Um, Faya's Black Literary Magazine of Black Speculative Fiction, say that times fast, is one of those magazines that is that is doing the work, that is doing the work of highlighting um, black authors in spec fic, not specifically horror. Um, although the story of mine that they accepted was definitely a, a Southern Gothic piece. And it's amazing to read these voices that in years past would have been rejected or overlooked or not made the, the cutoff or not even possibly been seen as horror. So I think our, our definition of horror is widening and that's becoming a more inclusive place. Absolutely. Thank goodness. Yes, absolutely. Thank goodness. On that note, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you and your work? Well, my website is EdenRoyce.com. I am on Twitter shouting about other people's work that I've loved and book reviews and acceptances that I've gotten at Eden Royce on Twitter. On my website, you'll also find a link to my blog, which is where I do all those reviews and shout outs and all that great stuff. And um, occasionally, very occasionally, <laughs> you will see me post something on Instagram. I'm trying to get better. At <laughs> Absolutely terrible. I will take all these pictures and go, you know what I should have done? I should have uploaded that to Instagram. But I'm working on that and I'm getting much, much better. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Eden. I really appreciate it. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today on Signal Boost. Make sure that you keep an eye out for Eden's work. Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanty Show. I'm Jen, and today on Signal Boost, we have Carolina Fedek, a non-binary Polish immigrant just beginning their career as a writer. Welcome to the show, Carolina. Hi, thanks. So, first and foremost, tell us about yourself and your work. Uh, well, as you already said, I come originally from Poland, although I've been living elsewhere at different points of my life. I write in both Polish and English, and I usually notice that in each of these languages, my stories are very different and uh, with different audiences in mind. And I also noticed only recently how into my science fictional and fantasy stories, how much of my background plays 
into them, how much of my personal history is reflected in these completely imagined universes, which was quite surprising for me as well. I can imagine. So when we first put sort of the call out for this October, you mentioned that your stories tend towards the darker side of things, verging on horror, especially given that, as you say, your personal history plays into it. What drew you to darker fiction and horror in the first place? And what is it about that genre that lets you explore things that you want to explore? To me, it's very closely linked to empathy and understanding. And I, I don't want to play, uh, to advocate for any, any sort of, uh, harmful behavior here. That's absolutely not about this, but writing darker characters or people who do things that are morally questionable uh, allows me to at least try to understand what led them here, what went wrong when uh, sometimes when they were hurt, what happened to them. And whereas I, I suppose I have a pretty strong moral compass. It's, it's something I see as separate from understanding. I can see where an action stems from without uh, being uh, advocating for it in some way. Also, I'm a psychologist. That's that's my professional background, which also uh, comes into this. I also, imagine that the themes that I find most scary and terrifying in in horror and similar genres are very mundane things. I am more interested in exploring how there seems to be potential for for evil or or immoral acts in in most of us, and it's often up to us whether we resist it or not, whether we choose to be selfish or selfless. That's, of course, a, a huge simplification, but I believe the most terrifying characters are those who are just like us, who who have no telling signs of evil on their faces or their bodies or in their minds. I, I believe that the, the real horror is that we are all capable of this. That's dark. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> I think you're right that the the scariest things are those things that that seem just within reach and that you could easily go over the edge to do yourself. So you mentioned you write in two languages and that there's a difference in what you write. So can you talk a little bit more about that? In what ways are your stories different to the different language audiences? And what are the challenges and the complications in reaching different audiences when you write in two languages? When I first uh, moved abroad, only from outside, I realized what uh, what kind of image Poland evokes uh, elsewhere. As long as I was living in Poland, well, it was simply my country. I I thought that, well, that's how things are. That's how we are seen. And only outside, I realized that in lots of media, Poland is lumped together with all the post-Soviet countries into this shapeless blob somewhere in Central Eastern Europe. And it's shown in a very stereotypical way that didn't reflect my experience much, if at all. And it helped me or it, it showed me that the image that I had that I thought other people had when I told them I'm Polish, these are two different images that I'm not seen as I think I am. So... When I'm writing in English, I, I do try to introduce a bit of Polish folklore or Polish history into my writing because I think it's a rich and underexplored source of inspiration and themes. And my Polish written works tend to be more general 
I also would say that there's some difference in tone or narrative structure that is preferred uh, by editors and readers in, in these two audiences that I, I sometimes notice that when I translate a story and I translate it from English, usually the response I get is that it's too fast. It's not elaborate enough. I, I don't show enough of the background, whereas uh, my stories translated into English. Well, I tend to hear that they are dragging, that they are too long, that I could definitely cut down the exposure. So there must be some some underlying difference in how stories are perceived. That's really fascinating. So tell me about your story, The Early History of the Moon, because this one, it, it is in English. Was it a translated work of yours or did you write it in English in the first place? It was a bit of both. I started writing it in Polish because I wanted to make a point and someone claims that you can't write about marginalized groups living in Poland in uh, late 18th, early 19th century. And I thought, that's that's absolute crap. That's definitely not true. I'm going to show you and write that story. And then I realized that it might not, not actually find uh, readership in Poland. So I decided to start over once again and translate it to English or from some point write it in English entirely. And it's also it's introducing a very complicated bit of Polish history when the country was divided between three neighboring countries. The, the language itself was forbidden and the whole nation uh, existed in a state of limbo when it was not officially recognized, but it was still very much existing. And I wanted to write about that struggle, about this idea of living in a place that doesn't fully exist or not as we would like it to exist. And, well, how people put in, into that situation, how desperate they are and how, well, how they make bad choices. Right. So your main character, Agatha, is presumably that marginalized character that you were referring to. So first off, why can't you write about marginalized characters in Poland? <laughs> like, why would someone suggest that in the first place? And since it's clearly not true, how do you write marginalized characters in Poland at that time period? Well, I think a lot, of, especially fandom, but I would say it applies to other uh groups or other readerships as well. But speaking just of the SFF fandom in Poland, it's still pretty much right-leaning and it's still mostly a boys club, which which very often shows. And, and the discussion which sparked this story started from from someone quite directly claiming that, well, but women or non-binary people in this in these days back then they didn't do anything interesting so there's nothing to write about (laughs) yes yes (laughs) wow and then i went on reading about female composers well throughout europe at that time and i realized that although we hear a lot about male composers and their works and their impact on on classical music we tend to ignore the works of so many women who are very often degraded to the position of just pianists in their uh, living rooms for their friends and family, even though these women had often created really huge works of their own, uh, their own music. It's just completely unnoticed. And I think that's something definitely worth writing about, which is why Agatha, my main character, in spite of being, uh, instead, oh, sorry, it got words all messed up. I, I'm very passionate about being or not being able to write about marginalized characters. 
So, yeah, she's a literal alien, but she's also one of these female composers not being able to fully display her work, but working nonetheless. The, one of the things I found really interesting about the story, too, is the concept of your history being written on your skin. Could you talk a little bit about that element of Agatha? Happily, I I have lots of thoughts and feelings about how our own identities are tied to our bodies. I think it's something that has been overlooked in discourse for a very long time. We we often talk about minds as if mind and body were separate things, but I decided to make it very literal in this case. It's it's something that Agatha can't escape. I'm pretty sure that people of color can relate to that even more strongly. Well, I come from I'm white in a predominantly white country, so that's not my experience and something I, I can't even begin to imagine how it must be. But I believe that even even being in a minority ethnic group in a place, we are still very strongly tied to our bodies. And I wanted Agatha to be constantly aware of that, even if people around her are not. So I mentioned in the beginning, and then you mentioned being non-binary in in the SFF community. How do you express that in your work? How do you explore that in your work? And and how do you deal with it as a writer in general in terms of getting published and whatnot? I would say that perhaps it's easier for me to write characters that transgress uh, the gender binary, that do things that are seen as outside the binary or maybe even violating social norms in, in some way. I, I definitely try to include characters that are non-binary or, or queer in other ways in my works as well. Right now, I, the, the piece I'm working on has, uh, it has, in fact, only gender-neutral pronouns, and I'm trying to remove the element of gender as we see it from it at all. I think it's a very interesting thing to explore and also because we all treat it, we're, well, we're taught to treat it as, as a given, as a fact that there are two genders, everyone performs a gender or is a gender in, in the society. But that's such a shaky assumption and it, it hasn't been true in every society. It hasn't been true all the time. And well, it's definitely fine to take things for granted and even in fictional worlds, we still borrow lots of things from our own world. That's absolutely fine. But I'm very interested to see this particular given challenged and changed and reshaped and reformed, hopefully. I will also have to say that I am not as out about being non-binary in Polish fandom, or it's more most often a bit of don't ask, don't tell thing for me. But at least in, in English fandom or English speaking fandom, I I haven't experienced any negative responses to, to my identity and, and the way I express it. Quite the contrary, which might be due to the fact that my social circle is strongly leaning towards uh, queer people and open-minded people. These are my, my friends and people that I choose to interact with, obviously. So in this in this way, it's been easier for me, but I, I know it's hasn't been as easy for everyone. Thank you for sharing that. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and your work? And for hopefully we have a few Polish readers out there. <laughs> Please include that. Uh, any just places that we can find your stories in Polish as well as English. Gladly. 
Uh, so, yeah, there is the early history of the moon, which has been referenced already, published in Metaphorosis, which you can find online. Also, Seams, which is my short horror story published in the dark magazine about a PhD student and envy and imposter syndrome that she experiences. And uh, when it comes to Polish uh, story, I would suggest Nastemcy uh, Tronu or Heirs to the Throne, which was published in Essencia magazine last year. It's uh, dealing heavily with topics of uh, neural networks and computers and how a computer can be used when incorporated in a body. And for something completely different, Sercevan uh, or Heart of Van, which is a dark fantasy story set in a falling city, which has been published in an anthology, Ścieżki Wyobraźni, this July. Awesome. Fantastic. And your Twitter handle? Karigrafia. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Carolina. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me and for asking all these questions. <laughs> of course, anytime. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today on Signal Boost. Make sure you go check out Carolina's work. Bye-bye. listening to the show if you'd like to get in touch with us you can find us at skiffy and at gmail.com on twitter at skiffy and on facebook at the skiffy and show and on patreon at patreon.com slash skiffy and our intro and outro music comes from the launch by chronux you can find out more about their music at freemusicarchive.org